Welcome to the second bonus episode of the Cinescope podcast. Back in episode three, we talked about the 2000 film Frequency, starring Dennis Quaid and Jim Caviezel as father-son duo Frank and John Sullivan, separated by time, but somehow able to communicate via ham radio. With me again to talk about the TV adaptation of the film that premiered last week on The CW is Eric Skoll. Eric, how are you doing? Hey, man, I'm great. It's great having you back on the show. Good to be back, uh, Chad. It seems like your show is doing real well. I've really enjoyed uh, some of the movies that you have discussed since Frequency, and I'm just thrilled to be getting to talk about Frequency again on this show. Yeah, and I just actually finished watching the show not too long ago, so it's fresh on my mind and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. So, gosh, it's just, it's an exciting, what a time to be alive. (laughs) All right. How about we just start with some general overall thoughts? What do you think of the show so far? I like it. Considering how how much I love the film, I it's, you know, among my top 3 favorites, I think the film as I talked about before, but the TV series going in, I had a lot of apprehension and you always wonder, I mean, the CW's taking essentially your favorite movie from childhood and and turning it into the series and and TV and movies are so they work so differently. It's like, you know, there was no guarantee it would be any good, right? We had hopes, we had hopes. Some of the, some of the crew of the film, you know, made the transfer and and all sorts of other stuff. But I have to say like the first thoughts were like, Oh, what a relief. It's actually really good. (laughs) Like it's going to (laughs) be, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it has been adapted to a television format in a way that I think is going to be, you know, continue to be compelling. And I have to ask you, Chad, was there any point during this episode where maybe you got a little misty? Yeah, there definitely were a couple of times, which was a good reassurance for me, considering how beyond misty I got while watching the film. (laughs) Right. Me too on both accounts. So that's really what I think the test really was going in is, Is this show going to make me cry the way the movie makes me cry? (laughs) (laughs) Before I give my thoughts, I suppose I should go over just real quick a few of the people involved here. From the original movie, we have producer Toby Emmerich. So there is that continuation of similar creative talent behind the show. He wrote the film Frequency. Uh, Toby Emmerich did. Oh, that's right. Thank you for correcting me. Mm -hmm. It stars Peyton List as Ramey Sullivan instead of John Sullivan. And then Riley Smith as Frank Sullivan. So those are our new leads here. And there are a few other people worth mentioning. There's Mecky Pfeiffer as Satch Reyna, Anthony Revivar as Stan Marino. I totally butchered that last name, but that's okay. And then there's (laughs) Lenny Jacobson as Gordo, Devin Kelly as the mother, Julie, Alexander Metz as Maya Gowan, and Daniel Bonjour as Daniel Lawrence. Those are just a couple of new characters that they've added. So my reaction, I did like the show as well. They did a good job of making it different enough that I don't mind that it's different. You know, if they had tried to too closely adapt the film and just make it almost exactly the same, it just wouldn't have worked for me because I would have been even more drawn to how it's different in a bad way. But here, because they're sort of deviating from what they originally gave us in the film, it seems like 
okay, I'm more accepting of this because this is the same vein. It's the same sort of concept, but we're approaching it differently. And so that really worked for me. I agree. Like on the one hand, like you're saying, I wouldn't want them to get too close to the film because I love the film and I'm protecting it. On the other hand, I really didn't want them to completely go off in their own way, which which they haven't. There were enough, I think, plot elements and enough characterization that, you know, you could tell these characters really loved each other. Enough echoes, I think, of the film that it still, to me, felt like Frequency. Let's live in a hypothetical here where Frequency was the number one film of 2000 and people consistently sing its praises. You know, 16 years ago, they decided to make a TV series about it. They don't need to have any similarities. They could just do a spin-off and call it Frequency because it's, oh, the well-known, just another edition of the well-known Frequency franchise. This is not that. This is like, they dig this movie literally up out of the grave, a bit like we did, you know, 10 episodes or so ago of this podcast, and are using the name and are using the characters and are borrowing this, and it's like, well, you gotta do a good job because why not just name the show something else? Because I think it's, you know underseen really the movie they didn't need to use it and they did and so i expect a certain level of quality and i expect a certain level of throwbacks and all of that and i got it so i i was actually really pleased with the level by which the tv show was sort of nodding and seemed to be very much in the same vein okay let's go ahead and talk about a few specifics of what's the same from the film so first off, of course, we do have Raimi, who is the equivalent of John as the cop. Mm. It's slightly different in the sense that the father is not a fireman, but is also a cop. Right. But we've still got that same sort of public service denominator. Yeah, I liked that point when you brought it up in the movie, too. And I think as the characters, as we learn more about even the mother character, Julie, who was, I don't think she was in the pilot all of that much because the pilot of this TV series had accomplished so much, obviously. But as we learn more about these characters and based on some of the promos that have been tweeted, CW Frequency is the Twitter handle, at CW Frequency. They've made like seven or eight one or two minute clips of different cast members talking about their characters and it seems very much like a lot of these characters are just good people much in the same way that you had the film you know surrounded by sort of these good people not to say there isn't obviously as we learned while watching a lot of drama and a lot of like i want to say corruption rampant but you know we'll talk about that when when we talk about differences another similarity i've spotted of course they kept the well first of all the ham radio which is big because that i don't know how they would do a frequency show without a ham radio but you could kind of see them trying they kept it and they kept the same call letters w2qiv or wq2iv sorry well i think they're actually slightly different i looked it up the old one the one in the film is w2qiv but in the tv show it's wq2iv the q and the two are switched oh okay then i'm not misremembering okay well very similar call letters then right i mean it doesn't bother me because it is so similar i mean i don't know why they couldn't just keep it but yeah that's very interesting okay huh <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm going to get a ham radio and dial into both frequencies and see what I can find. Maybe I'll talk <laughs> with my grandpa. I don't know. Yeah, so the radio is a big similarity that I had, as well as the surname of the hero, the friend Gordo. A lot of it seems to be like, you know, in terms of character structure, all the beats are being hit here. You have the sergeant, you have Satch, who sort of exists in both timelines and is really 
the only one who can and who does. And you see, even in this pilot, Raimi is getting sort of valuable information from him, both from what happened in what ends up being 1996 and where she is in 2016. Right. And the Nightingale murders are still a big focus here. Mm. They've just shifted the timeline forward. And they use some of the same storytelling techniques, which is very refreshing since that was a big part of the original film. We have new memories being born. We have scratch marks or burn marks appearing on top of the radio in real time. Those were some of the real staples of the original film that were great to see return here. Also, conversations in public places where in the background on TV is a baseball game. Yes, I'm so glad they kept the baseball element, too. Yeah, the baseball baseball in general, yes, it's back in a big way, right? Different World Series, though. But just the fact that there's a point where Frank and I think it's Satcher in in a smoky joint, you know, bar, and there's just baseball in the background, and Satch gets up and leaves, but Frank, like, looks up and sees the TV, and it's like, it's the game. And I'm like, it was clear to me in that moment that they're actually being really clever and being really... You know, they love the source material. They're not here to tread on it. There's a lot of differences I think we'll get into because it is the TV series. There has to be a lot more drama. There has to be a lot more, I guess, action. But this episode really assured me that there would be a lot of that other stuff that I love the original frequency for. Definitely. Are there any other big similarities or small similarities that stand out to you? The title card. Right? The burned wire, sort of where it makes the electronic sound when the, the show comes up, when it says frequency, I'm pretty sure is exactly the same font and style. Yeah, it definitely is. And I noticed it more at the very end, at the end credits, than at the beginning. Maybe I was just more focused towards the end because I was more engrossed. Yeah. That's always something that in the beginning of the movie, I always feel is a little out of place because it's not necessarily. Neither Frank nor John are electrical engineers, but it's this very like circuitry thing going on because it's, of course, frequency is, I guess it has to do all with circuitry. But yeah, they kept it. And I think it'll be really interesting, I guess, in the same like vein of how they changed the technique or the method by which Frank and his daughter, Remy are communicating. It does have to do more with that sort of electricity. So I like that they kept sort of the crackly intro title and uh, you know in subsequent episodes we'll probably get a proper theme song or a proper you know opening title pilots don't usually or don't always have them but they come in later so you know i'd be interested in seeing what that shapes up to be in, in subsequent episodes so let's go ahead and talk about what's different so first off the obvious thing is that the family dynamics are different and i'm not just talking about father daughter instead of father son but in this version, Raimi is actually resentful towards her father, whereas we never really saw that from John in the film. No. Ugh. I liked, I mean, I didn't like it. Obviously, you want them to have a good relationship <laughs> because they have such a good relationship in the film. But here, it's like, this is a spoilery episode, as always, on Cinescope. What happens is her father, Frank, is actually an undercover cop in this version instead of a fireman. And he's killed because, what we're told, he went dirty. He went too far. He went too far undercover. So from the day after he's dead, she's seeing all these publications, all these news reports on how her father was such a bad man, how he just, I don't know, he went corrupt. So she resented him for that. She resented him for leaving her mother and her behind and for going bad, apparently. And it's not until the episode progresses and she does some of her own research and after they've made contact with each other, then we discover, okay, maybe he's not a bad cop. Maybe he's not 
this person we thought he was as presented in the show. And so I think that adds a different spin on things. I was really nervous about that. I mean, the opening lines of the pilot, <laughs> I wrote them down because they scared me half to death. Some things I've never told you about my father. He left us when I was six years old. He was a bad man. I was like, what? That's that's not my that's not the legacy of Frank Sullivan that I know. <laughs> right. She said, some said his death was a tragedy. Others said he got exactly what he deserved. This is not the well-known, well-loved, charismatic Dennis Quaid character. It obviously is explained in good detail and through the characterization of the actors, even throughout the pilot, you see that clearly Frank is, yes, he's grittier, but he's got a profound love for his family. And I think it stems back to what they're trying to do is to showcase how Frank's love for his family really keeps him grounded and is actually one of the main reasons he wants to conduct the sting operation that he's working on and and sort of get out of being undercover because it's already caused this marital strife and you know this relationship that would otherwise be pure and good and untouched even with his daughter is now marred by you know sort of his behavior his activity so it's still a, a very good dad frank sullivan you know so i i like this sort of swing on that character for that reason and it's interesting seeing how she goes from resenting her father to once they make contact, there's this one moment where she says, Frank, Frank, dad. And she makes that change to a, an instantly more tender name for him. We can see that she's warming up to the idea of being back in contact with her father because, I mean, you lose your father, your parents so young, mm -hmm. no matter what, you're going to be glad to talk to them no matter what that relationship was. And so we already see a uh, father-daughter relationship sort of blossoming from what used to be resentment and is maybe growing into something more warm. You mentioned names, her name for him that, you know, I, he has a different name for her, obviously. He can't call her Chief. And I was guessing, but I, I'm pretty sure he calls her Kiddo. I'm pretty sure that's sort of the recurring thing that we're supposed to believe because not only I think he calls Raimi Kiddo at least twice during the episode, but so does her fiancé. And so does Gordo once. Yes. Uh, so I think that that's going to be, based on the technique used in the movie, how everybody, even John's ex-girlfriend, suddenly ex-girlfriend, calls him chief, I think they're really trying to drill in, although it was very subtle. I think Kiddo's going to end up being like Frank's name for Remy. So I liked that aspect of it because that was sort of a similarity, but it's obviously at the same time a difference. Speaking, though, of the fiancé, I wanted to sort of get your thoughts on this, Chad, because this, to me, was very interesting in what is simultaneously something that's the same and something that's different. You have this alternate reality being created in the pilot where a person's significant other, where the Jim Caviezel, Peyton List character's significant other no longer recognizes them, right? No longer knows them at all. And I just thought it was really kind of cool and how nuanced it was, too, with, you know, the beginning of the episode, Raimi finds the ring that this guy, this Daniel, is going to propose to her with. And, you know, he wants her to, to meet his parents for the first time. And then to have that, it just really amps up the pressure because when she ends up going and making the dinner with his parents, she's not the one he's engaged to at all. And, right. you know, I really just, I love how the show is playing with time travel, how the show is, you know, certain things have stayed exactly the same, even as she points out, Daniel's scar from his car accident. All of these things still happen to these characters 
even though so much for Raimi and Frank personally has changed, that it just really felt authentic. And it really felt, you know, the back half of this episode, I thought was sort of rushed. I felt that, you know, maybe if they had done a 90 minute pilot, we would have even gotten like sort of more of this um, time to really explain what the new memories mean and really explain a lot more of the bubble. But I mean, that's what subsequent episodes are going to be for clearly. But this pilot episode had it all, I thought, that was that really made for an engrossing and also a reminiscence production. And what I liked about the memories here is that her new memories, she almost had to discover them before she remembered them. Right. There were some memories where she was just awash with them once her father doesn't die, mm. which is great. But then we find out, oh, I remember that he actually got killed in a car accident once Gordo reminds her that he was killed in a car accident five years ago. Mm -hmm. And then as she learns that her mother was killed instead in the same year as he was originally killed, she starts remembering, oh, I remember her not being there now. I remember this time spent with my father, but now I also remember that my mother wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And so there's this contrast of having to discover memories as she realizes that they aren't the same as what they were before. And there's still the third aspect, which is as they happen in the past, they are still being created in the future or in the present. Like when she brings her dad the radio in the hospital and then, you know, older Remy remembers him hugging her and telling her, what is it? She did good, kiddo. I mean, <laughs> that was actually right after he's in the hospital. She didn't bring him the ham radio yet. He just survived the attack at the harbor or wherever he was supposed to die. And her mom and her go to the hospital to visit him. And he's directly communicating with future Remy saying, good work, kiddo, or something like that. It, it's like clearly a direct message that she remembers in the moment. Bling! Instant message to Remy in the future. <laughs> but, but it's so cool. So you have like three types. And I, I'm sure that the show will continue to play with that aspect. Like the equivalent of the wallet trick, right? One of the favorite visual things that the movie does is the wallet trick. And that is going to be something that they can continue to have fun with throughout Although, you know, I have some concerns about them adapting it to a TV series, which is namely in this villain character, you actually have more than one villain. Because now that Frank is also a cop, you're dealing with the fact that members of his force sold him out. And this is a big difference from the film where everyone loves Frank Sullivan. And only at the end, when he's suspected of murder, do people begin to question sort of his loyalty. In this iteration... These, you know, crooked cops or detectives or sergeants sell him out to his, the people he's undercover with and, you know, essentially want him dead. And then you have also this murderer who for some reason was stopped, although this is another difference. It's not made clear exactly why the Nightingale killer was stopped initially, right? It's not that Julie Sullivan saves this guy's life. This guy was just in the elevator and happens to see Julie instead of the other nurse. So we don't know what necessarily would have happened otherwise, but you're, you're going to have these two long-running sort of bad guys. There are these two conflicts, I think. And it'll be interesting to see how both storylines play out together because there's not just one but two sort of problems for them to overcome in order for Raimi to get back to the world where she has the same fiancé and everything else is the same. I'm curious to see how they develop those two villains as well, because I like that they're keeping the Nightingale murders and keeping that mystery alive. Adding the new one with the corrupt cops or undercover cops is going to be different, but I wonder if those might intersect and there might be some similar people in between those 
two cases. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Any other thoughts on just what's the same, different, etc.? Yeah, so I hinted at this before, but how there's no Aurora Borealis, right? This storm, it's just a dark and stormy night. Gordo and Daniel have found and set up the ham radio off screen. Raimi comes home and finds them and is angry. You know, it's in the garage because I want it in the garage. It was a good line, really good dialogue in this episode. But it turns on that night, you know, during the storm, we see the, I think it's not the first time it turns on, but the second time there's that lightning travels, or is it the first time we're like, we see the weather vane, the lightning hits it, then the signal like goes down the pipe and turns the radio on. Yeah, that might be the first time, but I don't remember for sure. Okay, because after that, the other thing, so it's not like the waves of uh, with radiation from the Aurora Borealis are bouncing off the sun, etc., whatever mumbo-jumbo is talked about in the film, but the way that it sort of just base electricity storm fate, I think, frees up the writers to, I mean, if this, let's be real, this series is super successful, they could do 10 seasons where... Raimi is, you know, talking with her pops on this thing. And, and, you know, you need something a little bit more long lasting, a little bit less defined than, you know, a temporary weather phenomenon to be able to justify the longevity that you need to tell this story. That said, in addition to it being, you know, stormy and all that, the radio itself seems to be somehow tied directly to Frank's vitals. I'm sure you noticed this, Chad, but like, you know, after the shootout, when he's laying on the ground and has that one sort of breath of life, he goes (gasps) after laying down and the radio in the future turns on and immediately starts worrying. Whereas previously, as he was dying, it had grown dimmer and dimmer. And she kind of knew that, oh, crap, she didn't save him after all. And so the radio is very weirdly tied into, I think, directly his heartbeat in the past. Right. I was noticing that too. And it actually created one of the more emotional scenes of the film as she's watching this radio sputter out and die. Because I mean, hey, she's watching her father sputter out and die. She knows exactly what's happening. The metaphor, like it's so perfect. Yeah. And so and then that makes the light coming back on in that moment so much more fantastic because, okay, we succeeded. And, you know, going back just a little bit, we don't get the impression the first time she tells her father that he's going to die, that he's actually going to do anything about it. He sort of just shuts it off and says, you know, I've made decisions in my life that I can't go against right now. And I'm sorry about that, kiddo. And he shuts off the radio. And so we don't know if he's going to do anything. And we see everything playing out as if it's going to happen again. And then we realize, oh, he set this gun aside. And so he did prepare and he did take her words to heart. So it's cool seeing him react or follow her advice just like they did in the movie. Mm -hmm. And then there's that scene at the end where the radio sputtering out and after young Raimi takes the ham radio to the hospital so her father can use it there, we see the light turn on in the garage from the future, which is really cool too. Yeah. What do you think about the idea? You've talked about this a little bit, the idea of this being a seasonal TV show. I really like the idea of seeing these storylines prolonged for longer than they could be in the movie because the movie had a lot going for it and had a lot of really interesting ideas and so this is everything a tv adaptation i think you know should be which is it comfortably lives inside the house or maybe it's the house next door right but it's the same neighborhood 
and you can just without any kind of feeling of betrayal you can continue to enjoy these stories and see what more they could could be done with it so i, I think it's the best case scenario is going into it too i was like well worst case scenario more people will be looking up the film because this tv series is coming out like i think it'll <laughs> ultimately draw a lot of attention to the source material towards the movie but as a series too it, it really has a chance to bring out what worked best in the movie and tell a compelling story with these characters. So I'm actually just pleased as punch and like these characters having seen them, I want to see an entire seasonal arc with these characters. I want to see 10 or 12 or 13, whatever TV series are, 45 minute episodes telling the story. And then, you know what? If they catch the Nightingale killer, who it seems if he's still killing in 2016 from 1996, he's, probably the most terrifying evil genius that's ever existed next to Zodiac and Jack the Ripper. You know, if they catch him at the end of season one, and if Frank is able to expose his cop friends who, who want him dead at the end of season one, what does a season two look like? These are questions that surely they have already had to have asked themselves, at least have a certain inkling of the showrunners. Um, and so I, I'm just really interested in, I think, my thoughts for the show just being, what does the season two look like? You know, once this central issue that's been set up in the pilot is resolved, what do the characters do? I hope they stick with this one storyline, couple of arcs kind of thing per season if they do continue on. Mm -hmm. Because what I don't want it to turn into is the kind of police procedural, like, cold case where all of a sudden every episode <laughs> she's using her connection with Frank to solve a murder from the late 90s. Right. I don't ever want it to be that. I want it to be like, okay, this is season one, and this is a story we're going to tell across the whole season. Now we're moving on to season two, and it might be a slightly different story or a completely different story. I don't really care as long as they stick to one story and they do a really good job of telling that story. I don't want it to be anything more than like an extended film. The other thing that I'm, although very cautious about with this TV series, is there was an element in the film where Jack Shepard kind of discovered the radio connection, right? I mean, he he knew to come back when he did at the end of the film, although that is the single most glossed over part of the film where he just shows up at the end and then Dennis Quaid's able to, you know, save the day. Surprise, I'm still here, Chief. But, <laughs> you know, the idea that if they keep doing this, because the element of the film that worked so well, right, was Jim Caviezel in the future. Okay, this is Sissy Clark. She was last seen here, you here. Show up here. You will catch the murderer. Done. Boom. If they pull this on the TV series, just like in the movie, Jack Shepard or whoever the killer is, is going to get wind, and they're going to have a lot more time to essentially mess things up on a TV show. So I think Frank and Raimi have to be a lot more careful than little eight-year-old Raimi carrying a radio across town to the hospital to move the plot forward. It has to be a lot more subtle because this killer is around, and if he sees, he's going to wreck their shit. Like, it's, the <laughs> stakes are so much higher because this isn't just a 90-minute, you know, or two-hour flick that they're going to have to learn to be covert, which I'm sure as cops they can both, you know, as an undercover cop for two years, I'm sure they can be, but they should quickly realize that they need to preserve what they have because they don't have the luxury, since this is the TV series, of there just being a big rousing like climax where it doesn't matter. They have to keep that radio really safe. I think you're dead on about that. 
Now, I enjoyed the show. I enjoyed the first episode. I think I will stick with it. You know, preparing to do this mini episode that I knew we were going to do, I thought, you know, I'll probably watch this episode for our bonus episode, and then I don't know if I'll really stick with it. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I don't watch any shows on the CW. Right. And I, I wasn't expecting to really enjoy it. But I think having watched the first episode, I'm actually looking forward to see what they do with the second episode and third episode and so on. What about you? Yeah, just the idea. It was a bit part in this pilot, but uh, Frank Sullivan took what is probably the world's first selfie. <laughs> you know, he he buries it in the can, and which was a nice touch, by the way. The American flag in the backyard. I really love that. I really just absolutely love keeping in touch with your with your daughter, even though your estranged wife hates you. It's just so touching. But the jokes that they're able to do because he's in '96. And it predates the internet, even though she's clearly got the internet. I'm sure there will be lots of jokes, not unlike what Sleepy Hollow does, right? Because you have old-timey 17th century Ichabod Crane adjusting to the modern day. But I think they'll probably do it classier and, and with better music. So I'm looking very forward to it. I will absolutely be following this show, for sure, 100%. Yeah, speaking of the music, I just have to mention real quick, the heat wave from the original film is very different than Wonderwall by Oasis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wonder, I, I don't know how I feel. Uh, if the acting weren't so good, I would have like that, that song overlays. I wouldn't, I would be complaining about it, but it's fine. It's not, you know, what are you going to do? It's no Vandellas, but it'll have to do. I, I, I really want to see more. And, and this is a great thing about the TV too. Like I'm sure there'll be more Easter eggs like that. And I'm sure there'll be more, nods like that but all in good time this show has done a really great job in its pilot episode of really distancing itself i felt a lot is really different but it's still got that loving feel it's got that heart at the center of it which is really what's going to keep me coming back as long as they deviate without losing what we liked about the film then i'm all gung-ho to continue watching and you know maybe towards the end of the season or middle of the season we'll come back and we'll talk more about it if we're still liking it I would love that. And also just mad props. Even if this is the only episode we ever do about this show based on our, you know, our movie conversation previously, but Peyton List was amazing and really strong performances by everybody. But Peyton List, really, her versatility, every line that she delivered, I felt was delivered perfectly. You could really gain insight into how she was feeling, what she was thinking. She really dealt with a lot in this episode and the writing was really, really, really strong. I love this line, I'm a cop bear-hugging a coffee can. You're good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you don't need to sound crazy to me, Daniel. All of it was just so well-executed like and well-conceived. And Peyton, even Raimi finding out <laughs> what Frank says, she's older than him. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's odd. That's weird. That's crazy. But ultimately, it has a payoff, right? When he's like, oh, what am I, retired? And she says, you're dead. But then when the memories come flooding back, she remembers him being an older cop in suspenders in the station when she first gets her badge and hat. And God, it's just ah, the emotions. So yeah, um, excellent acting. Peyton List and Riley Smith and everyone else. I just, I, I really want to see more of this cast. They've assembled, I think, a, a really winning cast. And even Gordo. I want to see more about this version of Gordo because he seems really cool. I agree. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens from here on out. Agreed. Any other thoughts? Thanks for coming on this journey with me, Chad. Oh, for sure. Thanks for bringing me the first time. <laughs> yeah, man.
Yeah, great. So that is the end of the official second bonus episode of Cinescope. Go over our contact information again, facebook.com slash Cinescope podcast or at Cinescope pod on Twitter. Please rate and review on iTunes or email other feedback and ideas to the Cinescope podcast at gmail.com. And hey, we announced a giveaway last week. Go on iTunes, leave a review for an entry. And if you want another entry, share a screenshot of that review on social media, tag me or the podcast, and you'll get an extra bonus entry. So that's two entries for a possible free movie, any movie we've talked about on the show. So you could get your own copy of Frequency if you want it. Hey. Yeah, it's going to last for all of October, and we will announce the winner on episode 14, which should be out November 3rd. So, Eric, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me mostly on Twitter at Spielerman, S-P-I-E-L-E-R-M-A-N. Yeah, that's about it. I, I podcast on MuggleCast regularly, and I edit for Improvised Star Trek, which is a podcast that you should check out. Yes, you should. <laughs> now, the best place to find me is on Twitter at Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, and on Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And all the show notes, all the contact information can be found at thecinescopepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Thanks, Eric, for coming back to talk about Frequency. Any day, Chad, and I mean that. Even if you wanted to talk about the movie again, I'll be back for it. <laughs> <laughs> Episode Frequency Part 2. We'll just continue raving about Dennis Quaid. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to our second bonus episode. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back later this week with episode 11. Have fun and celebrate movies. Mm-hmm.